Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. It was written to Christians. The the epistles were letters to Christians. The gospels were written with the unsaved world in view. So you have a difference between the epistles, the letters, and the gospels. The epistles were written to explain the gospel, to explain the Christian life, to give meaning to the Christian life. The gospels were written to confront people with the good news, with a triumphant Christ the Savior of the world, and the call people to discipleship. The Apostle Paul, a bond slave of Jesus Christ and proud to be, owned by Christ, obedient to Christ, dependent upon Christ. And this letter is written to Christians living in Rome. But Paul doesn't say it that way. He's writing to these Christians in Rome But instead of just saying to all of you who are in Rome, he gives us three descriptive words of those Roman Christians and of every Christian. And we find the first one in verse 6. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Think about that. You're called to belong to Jesus Christ. Those who have positively heard and responded to the message of the gospel. They stand in the presence of Jesus justified. You see, too often in defining the Christian experience, somehow it gets mixed up and it comes out man-centered. The Christian experience becomes man-centered. But biblically, that's not it at all. The Christian experience is God-centered from beginning to end. God initiates salvation. God continues salvation, and God finishes what he started. It's all God from beginning to end. God has acted. God has willed. God has chosen. God has called. Do you understand that you have been called of God and that's the only way you could ever be saved? You didn't initiate getting saved. God called you. God is the one who stirred something in your heart and soul. That's why this crazy idea that a man can just live however he wants to and can come to God anytime he wants to is far into Scripture because the only way you come to God is when God calls you. God initiates salvation. So he's saying to you, Christians, you are called. You belong to Jesus Christ by calling. That's why you belong to Christ. That's why you're Christians. You are called. Then the second word is the word loved in verse 7. To all in Rome who are loved by God. You see, the Christian is the object of God's eternal love having received God's special grace and the forgiveness of sins through the death of Christ, we are objects of the death of Christ. The deed of the cross was for us. 
It was because of God's love. There's a universality of God's love. We're familiar with that. John 3, 16. For God so loved the whole world. But there's a particularity of, of God's love. And that is God has set in his heart for those who respond to Jesus Christ. Those people are the beloved of God. Those people are loved for God in a special way. If you're ever tempted to feel unloved, you just look at the cross and you'll know how much God loves you. And he loved you even while you were yet sinners. He loved you before you did anything positive toward him. He loved you while you were in your rebellion against him. God initiated salvation. He called you. He loved you to himself. And there's a third word, saints. It's also in verse 7. And call to be saints. Those of you who have been called to salvation and are the beloved of God, you are also saints. Now this one is a little uh, difficult uh, for us, because uh, you know, you think of of Saint Todd, uh, just doesn't it may, it may not sound Saint Jeff. It just may not uh, sound uh, Saint Steve. That doesn't sound right at all, does it? Uh, but we are saints of God. You see, and you may not be aware of this, but the word that we use all the time, the word Christian, was really only used about three times in the New Testament, and each time it was used in derision and mockery. That's what it came out of. Those people who were acting like Christ were called little Christ. You're just a little Christ. You're just acting like Christ, and then eventually they were called Christians. That was a term of derision and mockery. The word Christian was the term the world hung on us. The word saint is the word God gave us. He said we're saints. And the, the word saint means to be separated, to be set apart. God, in his sovereignty, chose us, loved us, called us, and set us apart. And that separation is twofold. We're separated from the world from sin and self and Satan, and we're also separated unto Christ. Now, we do not live saintly in order to become saints. We live or should live saintly because we are saints. There's not anything you can do to get that. It's a gift of salvation that comes when you respond to the call of God upon your life. So what the word is saying is, we are saints, now therefore let us live saintly. Now it may sound strange for you to think of your husband as a saint, ladies. It's just hard for you to get in your mind, isn't it? But if he belongs to Christ, he is. Now, if he, if he asks you tonight from this point on to refer to him as saint, 
then he's got some spiritual problems we need to help with. But we are all saints of God, called and loved by God. And these particular saints were residents of the capital city of Rome. So they were in Christ and in Rome. They were in Christ, that position of salvation. They were in Rome, that location. You see, we are saints in Bossier, in Christ. They were saints in Rome, in Christ. Right in the middle of one of the most corrupt cities in the history of the world, the city of Rome, they lived and served God. They acted like saints. And they acted like saints in such a way that the whole world was talking about them. Paul says, I'm impressed because everywhere I go, people are talking about those who are in that terribly corrupt, evil city. And yet they are living saintly. They are living and serving God. And my friend, that's what God wants of us right here in Bossier City. It doesn't matter what happens in the city, how corrupt the city becomes. Our responsibility is to live like saints right in the middle of it. To live and serve God, to be saints in Bossier. I think by any standard whatsoever, you would have to concur that Paul is one of the greatest men to ever live. And perhaps no one more nearly approximated what it means to be a genuine Christian and a true spiritual leader as did the Apostle Paul. In fact, some say that outside of Jesus Christ, he may be the most important man to ever live. Paul, a genius with a pen, but yet he wrote in simplicity, in clarity, in power. He left us many gifts, but no one greater than the book of Romans. And in this next paragraph, we we get a glimpse, we get a picture of this great man, Paul. He is attempting to establish rapport with the Christians at Rome because, remember, he has not been to Rome. He doesn't know these people. They do not know him. He knows them by reputation. They know him by reputation. So he, he's going to establish rapport. And in these very personal words, his inner spirit breaks through and we get some insight into what kind of man this Paul really is. And these things that marked his inner spirit should be the same things that mark your inner spirit and my inner spirit. Because guess what? The same God who lived in Paul lives in you and me. The same Holy Spirit, the same power generated in Paul's life is available in your life and in my life. So... Here we find a great biblical, spiritual, Christian life. And we see what made it that way. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Or you may have a translation that says you all, Paul being a southerner. 
because of your, your faith is being reported all over the world. So here's number one. Greatness of life is marked by a spirit of gratitude. You show me a great man, I'll show you a grateful man. You show me a great Christian, I'll show you a, a grateful Christian. You show me a great leader, I'll show you a grateful leader. Gratitude was the first response from the heart of Paul. Whenever news came to Paul that God was doing something anywhere, Paul got excited. Paul rejoiced. Paul was thankful. He was grateful. When he heard about people being saved, he was grateful. It didn't matter that he was not the preacher. It did not matter that he was not there. He had a thankful heart. When a church was established, it did not matter that he didn't establish it. He was just grateful that a church had been established. Now listen to me. Little people cannot rejoice over work that they're not involved in. Little people can't rejoice over the success of others. Paul was not a little man. Paul's only competitor was the devil and the, his demons of evil. He didn't see himself in competition with, with other preachers, with other evangelists, other missionaries. He didn't start the work in Rome. He'd not even ever been there. And yet he had a grateful heart. And that was a sign of the greatness of this man. And you know, that's the attitude of our church. And I think that's one of the reasons God blesses our church is because we thank God for every church that preaches the gospel and we want every church that preaches the gospel to be successful and to win people to Christ and to grow people into the saints of God that they, that they need to be. And when we hear about God blessing somewhere, we're excited. Just because we had nothing to do with it doesn't mean anything at all because we're not in competition with anybody. This church is not in competition with any other church. In fact, if every church did well, we would all do better. So we want churches to do well, and we want God to bless, and anywhere God's blessing and we hear about it, we're thankful, and we praise God. You'll never hear me attack another church from this pulpit. You never have, and I've been here 20 years. If I hadn't done it 20 years, good chance I won't ever do it. If I ever do it, it's sin, and you recognize it as so, all right? Because we thank God for every church that preaches the gospel. And so that's the first, the spirit of gratitude. The second, greatness of life is marked by a spirit of prayerfulness in verses 9 and 10. God whom I serve with my whole heart. Don't you like that? Don't you want that to be your prayer? God, I want to serve you with my whole heart. I want to be committed to you. And you know, this, uh, the danger of me speaking on Wednesday night is I might say something you need to hear. And, but you know, in the... In this past three weeks, our, our, our attendance has been down some, and, and we're learning more and more that our people come in shifts. And we've got one group that comes every three weeks, some that come every other week, and then we have a core group that comes every Sunday. And uh, some of them have the things planned out. That one week they go to grandparents, and one week they, uh, they do the recreation thing and, and, uh, and golf, and then one week they, they come and pay God and First Baptist Bossier a visit. Do you understand that that's not an option? Do you understand that church on Sunday morning is not for you to do with what you want to? Now, you listen to me carefully. It's not about this church. It's about your Christian faith. 
See, I spent my whole life with Sunday was never an option of cutting out. Because if God is God, he's God. If you decide whether you want to spend any time with him in his church on, on Sunday, then you're playing God in your own life. So church is not an... It, it's, you're, you say, well, you know, and I'm just a busy person. That has nothing to do with it. We're all busy people. It's simply if it's God's day. And, you know, we didn't have service on Sunday night. When people can't come every Sunday morning to church, they got a spiritual problem. Got a spiritual problem. He said, I don't think you should be so strong. Well, I didn't ask you. <laughs> Prayerful. He, he says uh, it's marked by prayer. Paul is saying, with my whole heart in preaching the gospel, how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. Great men, great leaders, great Christians know how to be entirely dependent upon God for everything. Without God, we can't do anything worthwhile. Paul knew that. We need to know that. Paul said, I pray for you constantly. Not that he was constantly on his knees, but that he was practicing the presence of God. He was in a continual spirit of prayer. And every time he thought about those wonderful Christians at Rome, he says, God, I thank you for what you're doing in their lives. I thank you for that work that's begun there. And I bless those people. He interceded for them with praise and prayer. Praise and prayer. He said, I want to come to see you. And I've been wanting to come to see you for a long time. And his prayer, you'll need to know, was finally answered but it was not answered the way Paul thought it would be answered. It was not answered the way he planned it. It was not answered the way he promoted it. It was not answered the way he preferred it. Paul said, my heart's desire, I'm telling you, I've been praying that I could come to you. I want to come to you. I want to come as soon as I can come to see you in Rome. And he got to go to Rome. But it wasn't the way he thought. He was arrested and he was carried to Rome in the custody of the Roman authorities as a prisoner. Well, I mean, here is, here is a man who is a great man by any standard. Here's a man who says, I'm serving God with my whole heart. Here's a man whose prayer life is continual, praying for those that he had not even led to Christ, but he was so thrilled they had come to know Christ. And he wants to go see them. He wants to go help them. And instead of doing that, he gets arrested. And so he says to God, I can't believe you did this. I mean, look what I'm doing for you. I'm one of your best men. I mean, I can help those people in Rome. I'm going over there for you. And you let me get arrested. God, what are you thinking? Is that what Paul did? Did, did Paul get bitter over that experience? First, in Philippians chapter 1, listen to what, what it says. We have to move forward now to that imprisonment. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, being arrested, has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard. <laughs> he said, the thing is, they keep changing guards, and I keep getting to witness to every one of the guards. So I'm getting the gospel in the whole prison, the palace, all the palace guards are going to hear the gospel. 
and everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. He said, this is for Christ. These chains are about him. It's his plan. No, it wasn't my plan. No, it wasn't what I preferred. It was God's plan. It was God's providence. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. He said, not only are people being saved because they, they get chained to me for a shift and I went unto Jesus, but those people out there who serve in God have been so encouraged by my boldness and my spirit that they have become more bold and more courageous in sharing their faith. Paul says, whatever happens in my life, it's under the furtherance of the gospel. And that's all that matters. The third thing. Greatness of life is marked by the spirit of giving to others. People do not become great at the expense of others, by using others, by walking on others. No. People become great by giving to and serving others. Paul said, for I long to see you. Why? To add value to your life. I long to see you to say, I've been to Rome and preached. No. I long to see you so that I can exercise my gifts, that I can explain the gospel to you in a way that will help you grow and will strengthen you in your face. I want to add value to your life. I want to contribute to you. I want to give you something. You've heard me say this many times. There are just two categories of people in the world, givers and takers. Lee and I were talking about that the other night about givers and takers. And in our lifetime, we could think of people that we knew who are givers and who are takers. You say, I'd like to see that list. None of your business. But you know whether or not you're a giver or a taker. And let's be honest, there seem to be more takers than givers. Paul was a giver, not a taker. We see the Spirit of Christ. Jesus said, the Son of Man is come not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for others. Jesus was the greatest giver of all. Paul longed to see them. He longed to serve them. He longed to strengthen them. It was about them. It was not about him. It was about God speaking through him to these people. To lift them up. Do you try to use your brother to, to help you get where you want to go? Or do you try to help your brother get where he wants to go? Do you try to make others help you be successful? Or do you try to make others successful? You can be a giver or a taker. Number four. Greatness of life is marked by a spirit of flexibility. If you're going to be great for God, if you're going to be a great leader in the church, if you're going to be a great Christian, you've got to be flexible. Uh, this is one lesson I learned a long time ago, and my wife and girls will tell you they've heard me say hundreds and hundreds of times, we've got to be flexible. Because things change. Plans mess up. Things go crazy. God may have something else in mind. God may send you another route, another place. You plan your life out, say, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And God says, nope. I got something else in mind. You're not even going in that direction. You're going in this direction. 
That's how God works. If you're going to be a great person for God, you've got to learn to accept whatever comes in life and believe that God can take it and use it for good. You've got to roll with the punches. You can't let the frustrations and disappointments of life get you down. I'm telling you, if anybody had a reason to get down, it was the Apostle Paul. He had so many problems, so many things messed up. He had to be flexible so many times. He endured physical torture, beat within an inch of his life. But he kept on keeping on. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I've had among the other Gentiles. See, one of his personal goals was to go to Rome with the gospel. But hindrances kept popping up. Schedule and Satan. Have any of those two hindrances ever messed you up? Schedule and Satan. But he said, I still want to come. And he accepted these hindrances as God's will. And he just made other plans. You see, leaders, great Christians, find possibilities in every problem. They look for success in every situation. They know how to turn lemons into lemonade. What happens if you land in prison? Paul said, simple, you start a prison ministry. <laughs> That's what you do. He said, I didn't plan to go to prison. I didn't plan to be taken escorted by prison guards to Rome. I planned to go with my own crowd and have a nice trip and be there to minister to you. But God had other plans. But it's all for the furtherance of the gospel. And so I've started a prison ministry and the prison guard, the whole palace guard have been witnessed to. And Christians in the area have been encouraged. Number five. Greatness of life is marked by a willingness to receive. Verse 12, that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. You see, great Christians don't know everything. You think you know everything. you got more problems than we can help you with tonight. We don't know much. Paul was a brilliant man. But he was smart enough to know that he needed to be teachable. Here was a guy who was the greatest missionary to ever live, perhaps the most important man to ever live outside of Jesus Christ. And he said, I'm coming to you because I know that we can help each other, that you can help me and I can help you, that I can teach you and you can teach me. You want to have a great Christian life, always stay teachable. Always stay teachable. That's one thing I love about the Apostle Paul. You'll hear him say in one of his letters, after he'd written nearly half the New Testament, the greatest of evangelist and, and missionary, and Paul says, I haven't arrived. Literally, I keep on ripping my britches. That's a great man. He said, though I've done all of these things, I haven't arrived. I'm still struggling. 
I'm still making mistakes. But I'm headed in the right direction and I'm going to stay the course. And I'll never change directions. But along the way, whatever comes, it's the sovereignty of God that will take over. Dr. Donald Barnhouse uh, wrote in the margin of his Bible by this verse, the congregation is the pastor's pastor. I like that. Because you teach me. I learn from you. Hopefully you learn from me. But I learn from you. There are many people in this room that I've learned a lot from personally. When in, my, in my young ministry, I always chose visitation partners over 60 years of age. And at that time, I thought if you were over 60 years of age, you were one step from heaven. Now I realize you're just a child. But I would choose older people to visit with me because I could learn so much from them. When I, when I started to pastor, I went to, to churches around the country. And I studied those churches. And I would, I would write to a pastor and I would say, I know you're busy. And I know you don't have, you, you know, everybody wants your time. But I need your mentoring. I need just a half a day of your time. If you'll give me a half a day of your time, I'll pay you $1,000. And you know the amazing thing? They had no problem. They were ready to give me a half a day. But it was worth more than $1,000. Because here's a man who has spent a lifetime serving God and has forgotten more than I know. But he's willing to spend a half a day with me. You know what else I learned? They wouldn't take the $1,000. See, the $1,000 let them know it was, I was not wasting their time. I wanted to learn. I wanted to learn. One morning, I picked up Jerry Falwell, and we were, it was just the pilot and I flew a plane up to pick him up, and, and I was just a, in, in my first pastor, a young preacher, and had not even met Jerry Falwell. And when he got on the plane in, in Lynchburg, he had a briefcase in his hand. And he sat down and, and he opened that briefcase and started to, to do some work. And I said, Dr. Falwell, I'm in my first pastorate. And I don't know anything. And I, I so respect you. And I know you're busy. I know you've got work to do. But could, could you just take a few minutes and let me ask you some questions? Jerry Falwell closed his briefcase, pulled off his shoes, put his feet up in the seat beside me. We were sitting facing each other. And for the next two hours, shared his heart about church work and pastoring. And some things he told me that day, I've never forgotten. And some things he told me that day, I went and did. I asked him, I said, if you wanted to touch a city, what would be the first thing you'd do? He started to go to every speed limit, every city limit sign in the city. And I'd put my arm around that sign and I would claim that part of the city for Jesus Christ. And that's what I did. I went back to Spartanburg, South Carolina. 
And I went to every city limit sign, and I prayed and asked God for that part of that city. Am I always as teachable as I'd like to be? No, probably not. But if you know me well, and if you've been with me in meetings, you'll hear me say many, many times, I've been doing this over 40 years. My biggest fear is that you'll find out I don't know what I'm doing. Because I'm still learning. And you pastor me. You're the only pastor that I have. And I learn from you. Number six, greatness of life is marked by a spirit of debtorship. Verse 14. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. He says, I'm in debt. Little men portray a spirit of entitlement. I deserve this. The world owes me. The government owes me. The church owes me. Friends owe me. That's little people. A sense of entitlement. Paul said, I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor to all men. And the only way that debt can be removed is by sharing the, with them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's true for you and me. Paul proclaimed the gospel as a debtor with equal compassion it didn't matter who the crowd was whether it was the cultured or the crude the intellectual or the ignoramus whether it was King Agrippa or the slave Onesimus Paul passionately shared the good news of the gospel. Johnny Hunt's one of my best friends, as you know, one of the greatest pastors in the Southern Baptist Convention. And Johnny and I have been, we preach together in many places. He, he wants me to go everywhere he goes, and I go to about one out of a hundred because I tell him I can't, I'm not physically able to be your friend. Uh, he just... He just goes night and day all over the world, and I just can't do that. But if I go with him to a place like Alaska, and we're preaching in this church in Alaska, and there are five pastors there. At the noon service that night, it gets up to about... 40 to 50 to 60 people. Now, what does a preacher, how does a preacher like Johnny Hunt preach to five pastors when on Sunday in his church he preaches to several thousand? He preaches the same way to those five as he does to the 5,000. Wide open. Pulls up his pants leg and goes for it. And I love that about him. Because he was saved in a pool hall. He is still carried away with the grace of God and feels like that he has a debt to share the gospel with anyone, anywhere, in any place in the world. And he has equal passion wherever he is. 
The truth is, the news we have is far too good not to share. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry. 